Good morning. I'm Professor Delmar Good, a member of the Business Department and the Adult Studies Division. I want to welcome you to our convocation this morning. I have the honor of introducing as our morning speaker, Ambassador Jeffrey Davidow. Ambassador Davidow spent 34 years in the U.S. State Department. He retired as America's highest-ranking diplomat, one of only three people to hold the personal rank of career ambassador. During his Foreign Service career, Ambassador Davidow focused much of his efforts on improving relations with Latin America. And a few of you might have heard him last evening in the Yoder Public Affairs Lecture. He served in increasingly senior positions in the U.S. Embassies in Guatemala, Chile, and Venezuela, and then later returned to Venezuela as ambassador from 1993 to 1996. From 1996 to 98, he was the State Department's chief policymaker in the position of Assistant Secretary of State, and then served as ambassador to Mexico from 1998 to 2002. After leaving Mexico in September 2002, he went to Harvard University to become a visiting fellow, worked with undergraduate and graduate students. I've enjoyed very much our interactions with him and I'm jealous of the Harvard students of having him for a year. I think you'll enjoy hearing him as well. He's agreed to share with us some of his perspectives regarding U.S. immigration policy and particularly as that relates to his experiences in Latin America. Please join me in welcoming Ambassador David Allen. Thank you, Professor Good, and thank you all for coming. And I understand we have a half hour, and I will not take more of that time. I want to talk today about immigration as an issue in the United States, and this is a topic that I became very interested in while I served as ambassador in Mexico for four years. And also on my return, I now live in San Diego, which is right on the border, or quite close to the border. Let me begin with a fairly flat statement and then try to work back from that. U.S. immigration policy, to use a very technical diplomatic term, stinks. It's not functioning. It's not working. It's not serving the interests of our country, of our people, of the people who want to come to this country. It is dysfunctional. Dysfunctional in many, many ways, not only in the inhumane way that so many people are treated, but dysfunctional in the results of some of our policies. Let me give you one example. You know, in recent years, starting in the mid-90s, we have strengthened, to use the terminology, our borders. We have consistently made it more difficult for people to come in from Mexico. And you all know the story of this. People try to come in, they'll cross deserts, they'll go to inhospitable places to try to cross. Many die in the effort. 
the net effect of making it more difficult for people to come in has been that once in, people are no longer willing to go back home for short periods of time as they had traditionally done in the past. Work here for six or nine months, go home for three months, come back again. So difficult, so costly, so dangerous for so many of them is the process of coming in that once in, they stay. So when I say our policy is perverse and dysfunctional, strengthening the border, building more fences has actually led to more people staying in the United States rather than keeping more people out. Now, immigration is a very complex topic and it's made even more difficult because so much of the conversation that we all hear and that we see on TV with Lou Dobbs and others is irrational. It's not serious. It's polemical. It takes bits and pieces from different arguments and different concerns and tries to string them together. It is therefore important for you as students, as community leaders, to try to get the facts straight, to know what we're talking about, to understand the proportions of the problem, and then to try to help our society come up with answers, and not to fall into the rhetorical traps that exist. And these traps, now we see them more on the side of the anti-immigrant proponents, but pro-immigration forces also engage in fairly simplistic thinking. The idea that, well, why don't we just open the border and let anyone in who wants to come in, and wouldn't that be great, and we can all sit together and sing Kumbaya. That doesn't work. And we can talk about that, why it won't work. But similarly, ideas that somehow our country is being threatened by immigrants are also false. The fact of the matter is, is that immigration today into this country, as it has been for our entire history, is a positive benefit for the United States. Compare the United States to many countries in Europe these days that see their economies declining because their population is going down as birth rates have similarly gone down. The United States has been able to maintain its strong economy, although we're going through great difficulties at this point, because our population is growing and our population is is in a significant measure growing because of new people coming to this country and the children that they have. Immigrants, particularly Latin immigrants, don't offer a security threat to this country in terms of, of terrorism. I, also, I always have to ask the question to these people who are saying, oh, we've got to build fences along the borders to our south because we want to keep the terrorists from coming in. Where are the fences they want to build on the border with Canada? No, they don't. Not really. And it's much easier for a terrorist, if he so wanted to, to come in 
through Canada and the Canadian border, which is largely unpatrolled, than it would be to come through Mexico. So this argument about terrorism, and here's one thing when you next hear it on radio or on TV or in a conversation, it seems to me that the idea of building a fence to protect us from terrorists is really a red herring. It's really a false argument that is used to cover the real opposition to immigrations, which is largely, it seems to me, social and economic. But let's look at some of the numbers. And so we can understand what's happened. And then I want to come back to the question of, that I began with, of why our policy stinks. There has been a massive increase in the number of immigrants coming into our country since the early 1990s. The fact of the matter is, is that the United States is now approaching a point in its history where the immigrant population, that is the foreign-born population, will reach a point, a percentage point of the total population of the country as high as it's been in over a century, equal to the vast numbers of immigrants who came to the United States in the periods percentage-wise in the period 1890 to 1910. The numbers have grown exponentially. And now there are probably around 35 million foreign-born people in the United States, of which about 12 million are here without documents. These are called illegals. And although I don't like that term, I sometimes use it by mistake. Of those 12 million who are here in an undocumented fashion, about 6 million of them, we don't know for sure, were born in Mexico. But it's very interesting. And here's another question you should be asking. When we talk about illegal aliens, I think much of the conversation in this country equates illegal aliens with Mexicans, when in reality, Mexicans comprise about, only about 50%. There were a lot of illegal Canadians living in this country. There were a lot of illegal Europeans living in this country. A lot of illegal Asians living in this country. And I'm not being critical of them, but the question to ask yourself is, why is the issue a focus on Mexicans? Why does the conversation always re return to that nationality? I think it, happened, it has to do with inbred prejudices that exist. And so one of the things that we've got to do is try to eliminate the prejudices from the conversation and the discussion. There are important issues to talk about in relation to immigration. Every country should have a discussion about how many foreigners can it accommodate? What are the rules and regulations? What's best for our economy and society? But we have to do this, and we should be doing this, in an intellectually rigorous manner that forces everyone who discusses these issues not to fall into glib generalities 
and rhetoric. As I said, there has been a remarkable increase in the number of foreigners in this country. There has been a remarkable increase in the number of Mexicans as well, as part of that. One of the things that has happened in recent years, and you can see this quite clearly in Goshen, is that the traditional places that Mexican immigrants used to go, which were the big cities of Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, to a degree New York, Miami, Chicago, Denver, while those areas still attract the vast majority, new areas of Mexican migration have developed in places in this country that don't have a whole lot of experience in dealing with large numbers of newcomers, or at least don't have modern experience in doing this. This is a result of the change in the American economy, where industries, many industries, have moved out of big cities and are in other parts of the country. The meatpacking industry, for instance, has left Chicago by and large and is now in North Carolina, Georgia. And there are towns in those states which 20 years ago had no Hispanics and today have 20 or 30% of the population. Similar developments have happened in this area, in Goshen. These areas tended to be fairly homogeneous, or in the South, du uh, dual systems of black and white, without much experience in dealing with new cultures, in many cases less capable of dealing than, big, in, than in big cities, which have a tradition of receiving foreigners. So in these areas, it is from these areas that we see most of the tension, most of the friction developing that then gets picked up and reverberated back down by the national media and the press and the talk radio and talk TV hosts. The fact of the matter is that there are levels of concern at local levels small towns and cities that should be addressed. Sometimes when large numbers of newcomers come in that don't speak English, then the schools have additional responsibilities, additional burdens of teaching. Police forces sometimes have no way of communicating with people, and if the police can't communicate with people, that's a sure recipe for more difficulty. So the advent, the arrival of new groups of people have to be managed well. This requires good local leadership. It requires business leaders and mayors and council people who understand and are obliged to understand by the population 
that we have to get on well together. And we have to find ways of living together and we have to understand each other. If we let our political leaders at the local level, at the state level, at the national level, indulge in the easy rhetoric and often vote-getting rhetoric of negativism, we're not doing our job as citizens. And one way we can do our job as citizens is by understanding the issues involved and consistently working to have others understand them as well. Another way we do our job as citizens, and you do a wonderful job here at Goshen, is by reaching out, is by finding the humanity in others, by looking for cooperation and opportunities to cooperate with new immigrants. Now, I said that our immigration situation and our laws are dysfunctional, and they are. And some of the methods that have been suggested to put a stop to the problem, to end the problem, are just not going to work. We cannot build a fence around this country. If we build a 20-foot fence on the Mexican border, I assure you somebody's going to open a factory building 21-foot ladders. That's what happens. We cannot protect this country in that way. People come here to work. And if we feel as a society that we want to control that labor market, and it is an integrated labor market, then we ought to take actions that deal with the reality of the situation. I'll give you an example. We don't know who is living illegally in this country, and by that I mean without documents, because we don't know who's living legally in this country. How are we going to check? Well, we know how we check. Immigration authorities go into a place, and if you happen to be an American Hispanic who's lived here for seven generations, you get put up against the wall too and ask for you and to have to justify yourself. Why? Because unlike many other countries, we don't have a decent system of national identification. Yes, we all have social security cards, but they're really not very useful as an identity document. So one of the things we should do in this country is that everyone who is here citizens and legal residents and foreign students should have some sort of identity document that allows them to apply for Social Security, to get jobs and what have you. And those people who come without appropriate documentation should not be allowed to. Should not be allowed to get jobs. There is a tremendous level of fraud in our employment system. That could be handled. Now, in this country, we have fears. We're afraid that if, if we all have a national identity card, then the government will know where we are at all times. We worry about Big Brother. Well, guys, let me tell you. 
If MasterCard knows where you are, the government can know where you are. And there's no one in this room who doesn't have a government-issued identity card on their person right now. That is, assuming most of you have driver's licenses. So getting serious about the reality, the reality is that we are in an integrated labor market with Mexico and people come here to work. Then let's look at that labor market and find ways of regulating it that meet our needs and the needs of at least some of the people who want to come. There are many Mexicans and others who would like to come for short periods of time and work. I told you how the fence along the border means that once they get in, they stay. Well, how about programs of temporary worker visas? Permission to come in and work six months, go home, come back again in a few months later. Let's regularize that. Let's do more for those people who are here. I'll give you another example. Of the many millions of Mexicans who are living in this country in an undocumented status, probably something like one million have already been told that they will get their green cards. They will get legal permanent resident status. But unfortunately, the U.S. government is only able to give out about 100,000 of those documents a year to Mexicans because of our law. There is a cap per country. Well, if, if we really want to reduce the number of illegals living in the United States, let's raise that cap. We've already told one million Mexicans you're going to get it. You just have to wait in line. You might have to wait 10 years to get it. Well, why not give it to them next year? They're entitled to it. So that's another change in the law that we can make. I personally don't think that we're going to come up with a total resolution to the immigration problem. I think as long as you have a Mexico in which a very significant percentage of the population, perhaps close to half of that population, is poor and looking for work, or at least better paid work, and that country is right next door to the richest country in the world, which needs labor, and we do need labor in order to maintain our economy, then I think the immigration situation, as we know it today, is going to continue in some fashion or another. So let's get serious, and let's find ways of regulating this process, making it legal, making it safe, making it humane. What we are doing in our country now is forcing people to live in the shadows. We're forcing many people to be afraid of authority. You know, one of the, the, the groups that is most reasonable, generally speaking, about all of these calls that you hear about, well, local authorities should do more against illegal immigration, are local police forces. The chiefs of police around this country understand that the way you do policing and the way you protect people is by communicating with them. 
And you don't want to set up a situation when someone has been robbed or beaten up or battered by a spouse, that that person's afraid to call the police because that person is afraid the police will then call the immigration service. But that is precisely what's being advocated in many parts of this country. We have situations in which young children come to this country with their parents, maybe go through a dozen years of school, all in an undocumented status, and then when they want to go to a state university are told, no, you can't go because you're not a legal resident. Why would we want to keep people uneducated? That doesn't make sense. So what we need, it seems to me, in the discussion of immigration in this country is a whole less rhetoric, a whole lot less bitterness, which is the product of fear. Remember your basic psychology. Aggression might have many causes, but the principal cause of aggression is fear. And if we working together can speak to the fears of those who are the most aggressive against immigrants, if we can talk about the benefits of immigration, if we can make people understand that immigrants, whether they're from Mexico or Senegal or, or, or China, are human beings with pretty much the same concerns that all of us have, if we can lessen that fear, we can lessen the aggression and we can create an environment in which we can have a discussion about the real issues. And as I say, I don't think we're going to resolve this entire question. But there are many steps that can be taken today with wise political leadership that would make life better for us all and would allow many millions of people who are living in the shadows and afraid of authority to come out and lead more productive lives, and those productive lives will help our society. Well, I thank you all for your, your attention. I, I wish you luck. I am very impressed with Goshen College and Goshen students and their commitment to doing the right thing, and please continue to do so. Thank you. <laughs>